0: Listening to the Giving Thought Podcast. Uh this is episode twenty five of the podcast from CAF's think tank Giving Thought, in which we look at big issues and themes relating to philanthropy and the work of civil society. Uh, I'm your host, Rod Davis, um and it's another exciting interview episode this week. Um so today uh, I'm talking to Dan Flusky uh from the Institute of Fundraising here in the UK. Um, I've known Dan for a while and it was really great that he was able to come on the podcast because um, it occurred to me that actually we talk a lot about philanthropy and giving here on the, on the giving thought podcast but actually the other side of the equation that's equally important um, is the asking side so fundraising is an absolutely critical part of, of the whole equation so it was really great to sit down with Dan and talk through some interesting issues about kind of some of the challenges facing fundraising at the moment and, and what might be coming a bit further down the line um so have a listen to this see what you think and i will be back at the end of the podcast to do a bit of housekeeping great yeah so i'm here chatting to dan flusky um who is head of policy at the institute for fundraising uh or possibly of fundraising dan will uh, clarify that in a second uh here in the uk uh, hi dan hello there rod um yeah perhaps if you could just um give the the listeners who may or may not be based uh here in the uk just a sense of kind of the organization you work for and what your role in is in it is
1: sure um so yeah it's the institute of fundraising okay um we've been around for um around 35 years or so and uh, we are the professional membership body for fundraisers in the UK. Um, we do training, events, professional development uh, for fundraising, um, for fundraisers and charities. And my bit here is working on policy, research and external affairs. So it's um, a lot of the kind of, I guess, thinking about excellence in fundraising, what the right standards should be, responding and working on issues around public trust and confidence. Um, and the role of fundraising in developing our charity sector here.
0: Yeah, and it's it's really good to to have you on. Apart from anything else, it stops people having to just listen to me, which is good in <laughs> itself. But, but also like what we end up talking quite a lot on the podcast and in quite a lot of the work I do is about sort of giving in the abstract and that sort of supply side. But you know, it's just as important, if not more important, that somebody's doing the asking in the first place. So I think that kind of fundraising side of things is absolutely crucial and i feel you know i'm glad that we finally got around to yeah. doing something about it yeah on the podcast. absolutely
1: i mean they're both uh, you know they're kind of two sides of the of the same coin i think um you know a lot of the research that we've done and others have done when it's looking at you know what uh, uh, what has triggered somebody to make a donation or what was the thing which actually you know uh, prompted them into giving and you know in in The the research consistently shows that in kind of two thirds of that time, people are actively attributing it to the fact that they have had some kind of engagement or some kind of fundraising ask in some form. So, um, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of you don't get the, the giving without without the asking.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. I guess, you know, a starting point uh, to make sure we we get off uh, on a reasonably controversial (laughs) footing to explore stuff. I I absolutely kind of buy what you're saying there. And I think Mm. it, it is really important. The thing that seems weird is despite the importance of that asking, I get the sense, you know, kind of within the sector a little bit, but certainly in the wider public that the the kind of the profession of fundraising is not always viewed that positively, even if people you know understand that it's important to ask in order to prompt donations. And certainly, you know, we're we're still in the midst of you know a few years here in the UK of you know kind of hand wringing and introspection about whether there's a, a crisis of public trust in charities, and you know part of that has been around. Uh, kind of high-profile scandals, many of which have had a fundraising element. So do you, I mean, first of all, do you think charity fundraising in particular has a trust problem and kind of allied question, do fundraisers sometimes feel like they've slightly been kind of hung out to dry by the sector more broadly because they're, they're the ones that are in the public eye and they're kind of being made the scapegoats for for some of the, the kind of wider challenges that charities face?
1: Um, okay, so uh, I think the first question bit there was the does does fundraising have a trust yeah is is there a is there a trust
0: problem do you think yeah
1: um i don't think there is a trust problem necessarily i mean i think trust is a very kind of uh it's a very kind of broad concept isn't it which we apply to a lot of a lot of things we sure Um, do yeah (laughs) and um you know it kind of it can often it can often become a proxy for lots of other questions and become a bit of a pandora's box to try and unpack um I think the the most interesting thing around fundraising is: are we giving supporters a good experience? Um, because that's that's got to be the cornerstone of you know how we rate our fundraising activity, alongside of course the money that we raise. But if we give supporters a great experience, that um, will inform how they think about you know that charity and about the sector more generally. So I think it's probably you know looking at how we can make sure that we're doing that, improving people's um, experience, and that will kind of have a knock-on effect in terms of, in terms of trust. Uh, I think generally, kind of trust is used, obviously, about do you trust the charity sector, um, and it's a very blunt question, I think, often because it's you know how, how can a you know a person on the street rate 160,000 charities who they've never necessarily interacted with. So I think trying to kind of get more the experience of donors and supporters gets you a better quest, a better kind of richer set of evidence and insights. And I think most of the time, what we see is that people say that they have a great experience when people um, through giving. So research that we've done through YouGov, when we ask people to rate their last um, we, their last uh, time that they have given, and we ask them to rate that as a experience um, from how they were asked to the process of giving and then follow up information that they get afterwards Um, and fewer than one percent of people said they had a bad experience Um, you know over 70 percent said it was good and uh, you know 20 percent or so said it kind of neither good or 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 bad but I think actually we're giving people a good experience Um, but I think there is a wider thing about how fundraising is perceived which potentially impacts on the stuff to do with wider trust and confidence so we see it in you know as you all know of course with lots of things around the charity sector which is you know kind of ceo salaries or expectations of not having any admin cost and all of these things kind of playing into this idea of essentially are charities working like we expect them to and when you see that actually they're maybe not working as you expect them to because they're working in a more complex way or a way in which they have to spend money on certain activities, that can sometimes lead to a little bit of a disconnect between what's in people's heads originally and then stories that they might see um, in the newspaper. And I think what we need to do is try and bridge that gap. So we need to try and help people understand more about how charities work and how things like spending money on fundraising, having professional fundraisers, is integral to the work of the sector, drives the work of the sector, enables charities to make a difference. But a lot of it is um, stuff which kind of happens behind the scenes. And you wouldn't necessarily know if what your interaction is with the charity is responding to an advert and making a donation, you probably don't see what happens under the bonnet.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. I guess I, I always think there's quite a lot of Uh, kind of cognitive dissonance people have because the same people that if you ask them a general question about you know do you have trust in charities will say oh no i think they're all terrible aren't they they're very wasteful and they keep harassing people then if you ask them about their own specific experiences with charities that they give to or interact with they they're quite often very positive so i think you know actually people people's sense of well my charities are obviously great but they can think that and at the same time have bought into a narrative that sort of cha- the charity sector more widely has these fundamental problems and i think that's definitely something you know that's a kind of ongoing challenge for people yeah, like you and absolutely. i to to address <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and i think there was quite an interesting uh, uh i don't know if you um read also the the uh, uh comments that came from last week from um Baroness Stoll uh, mm. talking at the CBO's conference and some research which came out which said about uh, people trusting charities less or as much as, I can't remember which way it was, um, as much as people, strangers on the street. I think it was less than people less in, than strangers yeah, strangers in the street. strangers on the street, yeah. And, you know, one of the comments I saw was actually, well, strangers on the si- on the street might be some of the best people that have ever lived, yeah. just haven't <laughs> met them yet, which I thought was quite a nice analogy because actually, yes, you know, hun- you know those charities might be some of the best charities doing the greatest work and giving best experience to their beneficiaries and to their supporters but because you've never had an interaction with them how would you possibly know that Mm. um i think the thing with trust is i guess it's kind of it can tell us something and i think tracking it over time will show you a trend which will help to uh, gauge the differences and journey, if you like, in terms of how the public mood is shifting or changing. Um, And I think that's worthwhile. But I don't think it's the kind of should be the overall benchmark that we always kind of pin ourselves to, because I think it's a bit too blunt to do that. And actually, we need to concentrate in the sector more generally on the difference we're making the impact we're having and the experience that we give people
0: and i think i mean it's it's definitely one of those things where there's a kind of stated behavior and actual behavior problem because Mm. most people don't really think in terms of abstract concepts like trust so if you ask them do you trust charities they'll you're asking the question they've never thought about and it's quite likely that the way you framed it what they'll end up saying well actually no yeah or something more guarded <laughs> whereas if you if you actually measure their interaction with charities and what they do and certainly when you look at levels of giving we found this in CAF's UK giving report that remains remarkably consistent yes. even while all yeah. of these news stories are happening in the background so I do I think yeah. you're right you have to be a bit careful about pegging everything uh, you know on the on this kind of one notion of trust I mean, one one question that follows from that, that I, I always think is one of the, the kind of really interesting ones around fundraising and one of the, the challenges, and I've never quite sort of made my mind up about what I would do about it if I was a fundraiser, and it goes to this question of trust, but it seems like quite often fundraisers face this difficult balance between the sort of the short-term need to bring money in through the door and the fact that there are kind of known methods that work for doing that. So, you know, things that that they all sort of know work, you know, historically kind of direct marketing and mail and then street fundraising, face-to-face fundraising, telephone fundraising, and possibly in the future, you know, uh, harnessing some of the methods that kind of social media is used to make it so compelling and addictive. But the flip side is all of those have downsides and quite often that's in terms of sort of possibly damaging the longer term relationship with supporters. So what do you think fundraisers do about kind of trying to to walk that tightrope between the fact that there are things you can do that you know will bring money in the door in the short term, but those same things might also be ones that in the longer term undermine your chances of keeping a, a healthy relationship with supporters?
1: Yeah um it's uh, and well it's, it's it's that's probably the kind of ongoing challenge which every fundraiser will continue to have throughout their career um and probably never quite have a, a set answer on because it will always uh, it you know the discussion will always kind of advance and evolve and we'll always be trying to to get that um i think there's a couple of things there um so i'm not entirely convinced that there is always a kind of mutually exclusivity mm-hmm. um, between what's good in the short term will be bad in the long term and vice versa um, i mean i think we have to accept uh that fundraising isn't perfect um and that sometimes um we Some of the things which provoke a response from people to give because they're really engaging and really inspiring and make a great connection with the cause and tell a story in a powerful way which triggers support might also, because there's an inherent emotional connection there, some of those things can also um, be things which people uh, complain about or they can be things which are a little bit more uh, disruptive perhaps in their in their life so we i think we have to kind of recognise that there is fun, fundraising will never just be something which is will, can always give a brilliant experience to everyone and never cause any complaints mm. because i think if your benchmark for great fundraising is you never have a complaint then you'll never The only way to achieve that is to stop fundraising. I think you never get fundraising, which you know, kind of is always great. And somebody thinks actually, um, I would have preferred not to have received that piece of mail or that communication at that time. So I think we need to not necessarily give us a benchmark to always beat ourselves over the head with, because there has been some, you know, something that a big communication that we have done has generated some some complaints, but. That's not to say, obviously, that we don't want to minimize that. Um, but I think we, you know, we, we there was a good blog that uh, came up this week, um, which um, people might be interested in, by David uh, Mbezera, who wrote about actually fundraisers are a little bit disruptive. Um, you know, if you're talking about going about your everyday life, you know, you're checking your emails, you're walking down the street, you're re- watching TV or an ad comes up or something but fundraising has to disrupt you slightly sometimes because it is an interaction and it is an engagement um and that's sometime and that's that's part of the game that's part of what it is we're trying to catch people's attention we're trying to engage them and inspire them um so inherently there will always be a little bit of a rubbing point where sometimes people would have preferred not to have had that engagement at that time and feel that it's a little bit disruptive
0: yeah i i like that i think i think there's you know a defense of fundraising as just sort of by design being slightly spiky because actually the whole point is you're forcing people to think about things they might not otherwise want to think about in order to you know elicit a reaction ideally getting them to give i think that i I definitely buy that and it's it's interesting actually in some of the stuff that's happening around technology there's an increasing number of fundraisers tapping into virtual reality on augmented reality yeah. for instance yeah and and it's really stark there because there are an increasing number of people saying, you know, hang on a minute, this was this was an awful experience for me as a potential donor because yeah, it yeah, was yeah. really immersive and got, it made me feel terrible. And it's like, well, yeah, that was sort of the point, <laughs> um, you know. And it's not actually a particularly comfortable thing. Um, no, I, I guess I w- I wonder whether there, what needs to happen actually? There's all this sort of tangled mess of stuff, and what we need to do is is unpick the bits that are kind of defensible on those grounds about, you know, the necessity of making people face kind of awkward uh, bits of information and be put in sort of difficult, empathetic uh, kind of um, environments and the bits that are more to do with where the the kind of practices and processes haven't been so good, which I guess is with something like some of the stuff that happened around telephone fundraising, it was more that than anything to do with the content.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a few bits there. I think the first of all, it's kind of, you know, again, what happened, you know, um, in terms of looking at fundraising regulation and practice was, were the right rules in place? And were the rules being followed? So, you know, what are the standards that fundraisers should, you know, aspire to and be achieving? And are they actually complying with that in practice? So there's a regulatory question there. And, you know, I think there's some things which... um You know, although we might be saying it's okay to be disruptive and to, you know, kind of um, make an ask to people, there are some lines that you don't cross. So if somebody says, you know, I I want you to stop emailing me, Mm. you stop emailing them. You know, that's there are things which are kind of not not up for argument, you know, the people's choices and their preferences about communication have to be respective you can't kind of get around that by saying well no actually our ask for our cause is more important than your right for privacy so there are there's kind of certain things which we always have to be working within the right framework and the right standards so there's that kind of regulatory side there is also something more around the kind of business planning budgeting side of things within charities um because, you know, it's it's cheaper to keep a donor and to keep a supporter engaged with you than it is to acquire a new one. Yeah. Um, and I mean, to be honest, I don't necessarily even like those terms that I've particularly used because I don't think acquiring people is quite the right way. It's, you know, inspiring them, it's engaging them. But, um, you know, that's the kind of, the, the language that tends to be used, I guess. Um, but, you know, we... We d- we want to get more people giving, and we want to get um, people giving more. I think, and I think we the long term gain there is that the best experience that we give people will lead to both of those things happening. Um, and we've just been um, you know, looking at some of the work from the donor experience. Um, and actually, I was looking early this morning about some of looking through some of the nominations for our best donor experience award, and there's some great stuff in there. About how people are communicating and engaging with their supporters to give them a great experience and bring them closer to that cause and make them feel really committed and passionate about it. Very little about that is asking for money.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Most of that is showing them the difference that it makes, it's bringing them close to what their money is actually doing, it's giving them choices it's talking to them through Facebook live through hmm. videos through the stories of the beneficiaries all of that's great fundraising because it's about commu- it's about communicating and engaging with people and that will then lead to that longer term that longer term support which is going to be in the best interests of both the sector but also give the best experience to people who are giving
0: and just on that, it's good. I'm glad you brought that thing up. You are saying there about kind of, you know, the focus actually being on demonstrating to people the difference they're making through their donations. You know, one, one of the sort of accepted truisms of the philanthropy and charity world nowadays is that everybody wants, you know, to have more impact and to have evidence <clears throat> of impact. I guess, I, I think there's an interesting question, particularly if we're talking about individual donors rather than sort of institutional funders and grant makers. Do you think individual average donors or even kind of high net worth donors do you think they really do want evidence of impact in the sense of kind of you know metrics and figures about <laughs> about impact or, or do you think it, it is still just more about telling people a compelling story
1: that's a that's a that's a good question and um i think there's a couple of bits there, aren't there? i think yeah it's, it's interesting when you you know if you say to people do you want more evidence of impact everyone's going to say yes aren't they yeah you know, it's a kind of it's a bit of a no-brainer question. It's like, do you think more transparency is good? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's it's it doesn't necessarily help that much, but um, I think that different donors are probably in, interested in slightly different things, um, and that doesn't necessarily go through clean and straight lines. But you know, if you are a major donor and you are giving a significant amount of money to a cause you will want to know what that money is being spent on, probably in more detail than somebody who gives £10 a month. Um, And you will want more regular uh, evidence, information, um, where that money is going to, how it's being spent. You might have some input in how that project is being um, delivered, what's happening with it, and evidence about the impact that it's making, which includes probably both quite... um, you know, kind of numbers and quantitative kind of uh, figures in terms of amounts of people that have been helped or what that money has done. And then alongside that, you'll also want the stories and you'll want the impact. Um, I think at the main, you know, the problem with impact is um, we talk about impact in quite a general term, a bit like we talk about trust, and often it ends up being a few lines that's written in an annual report and... You know, we don't really look at that that much, do we? But the the key thing about impact, which you which you touch on, I think is absolutely at the heart of it. It's about telling the story. It's about making the connection. It's about telling that story of through this donation, these are the lives of people that we have changed. This is what we have done. This is how you've helped to make the world a better place. Now, figures and percentages can help support that. But if you don't have the story at the heart of it, then I don't think you're really communicating the impact as well as you can be. Yeah, I, I
0: think I, I totally, you know, I, I obviously that was an amazingly leading question that i did <laughs> before, but no, I think I, I kind of agree on that. It's horses for courses, isn't it? And I think there's kind yeah. of there's donors for whom, you know, spreadsheets containing you know rigorous metrics uh, will be the right approach. But then I think yeah. for the vast majority of people, actually i mean the evidence is that's actively off-putting if you give people that sort of thing because they find it uh sort of confusing and also it can sometimes highlight the scale of the challenges they're trying to address and yeah, that, that's absolutely. actually a bit I th- frightening
1: I, th- I think one of the and again it goes back to the stuff that great fundraising doesn't necessarily have to be something which asks for money but um some of the greatest you know things that are happening in terms of keeping supporters engaged and telling those stories are about telling impact and being able to do that in new and exciting ways so you know you just talked about um vr for example so you know being able to go somewhere put on a headset and actually see through the eyes of a child that you might be helping or put that headset on and suddenly you're in a forest which is potentially going to be deforested and now your donation is going to save the tree that you can literally see actually not literally so is it but almost literally right in front of you you know those are absolutely fantastic things that can happen um seeing you know rather than just getting an email which tells you percentages of where your money has gone an email which has got a video embedded within it which shows you where the money has gone and has the stories and the voices of the people that it's helped those are the things i think where there's real excitement and innovation happening and you don't have to have then a pound signed and will you give more necessarily mm. at the end of every one to then inspire more gifts because people will naturally be wanting to give in those contexts, I think.
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. And it is interesting with quite a few of the VR projects. They they haven't been overtly linked to a fundraising ask. It's been mm. quite a sort of separate awareness raising, at least in the first instance. So um, yeah, it will be interesting to see kind of yeah. how effective that proves to be.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and I think actually, um, the fundraising I think it's very hard to kind of separate out what is fundraising compared with what is the rest of the stuff that the charity does. So, you know, I, to a certain extent, the fact that you're kind of saying, well, look, this is an engagement piece, that can still be part of great fundraising.
0: Mm.
1: You know, one of the interesting things that came up around the changes in fundraising regulation, and so on, was this idea uh, which um, was part of the original proposals, which later got changed, was about trying to identify it and separate out what is a fundraising communication compared to what the rest of the organisation might be doing. And it becomes nigh on impossible. It's it's a, it doesn't work. You can't really separate out what's a fundraising communication from well, what's a communication about showing our impact and you know, sh- telling donors the difference that their money has raised or about trying to get people engaged and volunteer and campaign. This is all part of a kind of holistic whole thing that the charity is doing. And I think actually showing that fundraising is part of that, not a thing of its own over on the side, is one of the cultural kind of changes and shifts that's happening in the sector because, we, you know, there it's not just... And every so often, we will send a quarterly letter with a pound sign on asking for money. Because if you're only doing that, and that's what you see as the fundraising bit, and then you see everything else as separate, it's not going to be joined up, you're not going to be giving people the right experience, it's going to kind of jar, and it will disrupt in a not in not in the good way that we were talking about earlier, because it's going to be kind of coming out of the blue and not joined up with the rest of the the story and the engagement, and the experience that you're giving people.
0: I think I think that sort of speaks to a, you know, possibly a wider truth underpinning some of the stuff we were talking about earlier with trust is where where there have been problems. I often think you know you can identify a large a large part of the cause as being that fundraising has become too much too sort of highly separated from from the rest of the the operations of the organization mm. so both you know both donors don 't get a sense when they 're being asked for money of how that links up to to the good that 's being done with their money, and also in you know in some cases where things have actively gone wrong, you know it seems like the problem is the people working. In that that fundraising function or possibly for a third party fundraiser don't have a kind of sense of the shared mission or ethics or it's just kind of they're operating in a totally different environment because by design they've been sort of put in a box over there and that's not really healthy for anyone, I don't
1: think. No, no no, absolutely and that joined up approach is crucial, I think and that's kind of has to be what at the heart of excellent fundraising is it's where it's embedded with order, within an organization. Um, You know, you might still have the fundraising team or department or whoever, but, you know, they need to be kind of joined up and embedded within the organisation as a whole and be speaking to the rest of the organisation, the the teams that deliver services, the teams that recruit volunteers. All of that stuff has to be all put together, Um, because, as you say, as soon as it kind of starts being separated out and siloed, then it starts to be more distant from the cause and then you are more likely to get into issues or potential trouble where you're um you know all you're then focused on possibly is well we are a part of the organization that's only interested in the bottom line and the pound sign therefore that's what we will always do and if you are only looking at that and you're not then uh fully kind of aligned with the rest of the organization around the culture and the values then you get a bit of a divergence which isn't good for supporters it's not good for the charity so it's about a much more kind of holistic approach i think where that's absolutely you know the work that we do to engage and inspire supporters is as inherent to that organization as the services that they deliver because you can't have the services you deliver without the engagement and the support of people to raise the money that pays for it
0: definitely no totally agreed Um, I just I'm aware that we're in danger of running long and I just there's (laughs) one other question I'd really like to cover because it was something that came up in our back and forth before we set this up and I think it's really interesting kind of thinking about the future I, I kind of asked you whether you know I wanted to explore what impact new forms of fundraising like crowdfunding and things might have on traditional fundraising and giving and the flip side you also pointed out that actually there's new forms of fundraising but also there's a lot of new things being fundraised for in traditional ways so you know things like schools increasingly fundraising hospitals Mm. local councils do you think that kind of change in what impact do you think that change both in the nature of the tools available to fundraisers but also the sort of widening of the the domain of fundraising might have on the kind of standard traditional charity fundraisers role
1: yeah I think there's a there's there's a few bits that I think it's an interesting kind of I mean there's part of it is a almost a philosophical kind of public policy question about whether certain services and institutions should be paid for by uh through tax and government spend compared with through voluntary support you know so for schools and hospitals and councils but let's let's leave that for a, an, another time another episode, probably yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah um but actually I think so there's two ways. You can look at it as a competition, potentially. So if you are a smaller local charity and suddenly you see that your local council is now running a lottery and schools down the road are also asking for, you know, for money from people who might have given to you, you might see that as a bit of a threat um, and be worried about what it might mean for your uh, support for your, for your charity. And I think that's genuine and we, sh- we need to recognise that. Um, however I do think it's in the main I think the more fundraising we have the better to a certain extent I think you know, we, we've got a long and rich tradition um, in the UK of giving to good causes and I think the ingraining that and embedding it in what we do as part of our normal life which is giving to things that we care about can only kind of lead, I think, and this is a bit of a hypothesis, I guess, but can will only lead to more people supporting more good causes. Because I think once you're more, you know, it becomes part of your behaviour, it becomes part of your identity, it becomes more common practice. So giving some money to a school or giving some money to a hospital, I don't think will mean you're not giving money to a local charity. I think it will be additional and complementary rather... um, than a threat and mutually exclusive the other thing i think about it which is a real opportunity is we've been doing a lot of thinking and work um here to start off work around diversity and inclusion within the fundraising profession and i think part of what we should be thinking about is you know you you mentioned about the informations in uk giving and consistent levels of donations which is mm-hmm. great but Potentially, what's happening is the same people are asking the same people who are giving. How do we get a broader range of people that are giving? How do we engage more audiences and different audiences? Part of that might be, well, let's have different people asking because they might be asking in a different way or in a way that resonates with other audiences. So you might have people that are you know, uh, parents at a school who are part of a PTA And then doing some fundraising. You know, that's great. Some of the ideas that they will have about how to engage local communities can be really, really valuable. So I think there's a lot of learning that could come from fundraising being more developed and being part of um, society more generally. And I think what you're one of the things we started off um, with uh, the conversation on was about this idea of fundraising and whether there was a trust problem or people's conceptions of it were um of uh, you know the kind of necessary evil or they didn't quite like it well actually if it's something that they're more used to because they're either doing it or they're seeing it in action in different ways that should help also think about the wider public perception of fundraising as well
0: yeah absolutely and i should um i'll just drop in right at the end there one of you know the things from uh, kind of scientific research about this which is Sometimes helpful and sometimes a little bit challenging, but there's quite a lot of evidence that people are much more uh, likely to give to uh, a fundraiser asking if they're from the, um, the same kind of ethnic group and uh, social demographic as they are, um, which is not, you know, that's a kind of pragmatic thing about actually... Yeah and in some ways in lab conditions that seems more negative i guess the positive spin as you say is if people currently aren't just simply aren't being asked because they're in communities where you know they're just nobody's kind of approaching them or if they're just being not approached in a way that makes sense to them or kind of connects them with the underlying cause then that's it's understandable if they're not giving and as you say actually it's lovely that levels of giving you know remain constant but actually that's kind of problematic if what we're trying to do is increase levels of of giving over time so yeah
1: it's kind of both a reassuring thing and uh uh something where we think there's a big opportunity because it's reassuring where you say actually look people give to charity over time you know people are really consistent in their support for good causes and we're raising 10 billion pounds every year that's great how do we how do we make that bigger and that's the challenge that we've got
0: well, yeah, it's one you know. I've been working on one way or another for about ten years, as so I know you <laughs> haven't. I feel let's let's end by convincing ourselves that we've got some insight uh, here today that we can actually make uh, things move forward. Do you, do you feel like that's happened, Dan?
1: Oh yes, so I, I hope. So. So. I think, I it's, think it's we've solved of, it. You know, with, well, I think it's the the thing with this is that you know society keeps changing, technology changes, people's expectations change. There's never going to be a right answer. But what there will always be as lots of new good answers that we can try. And it's kind of, you know, it's just that process of continually checking what we're doing, improving what we're doing, always striving to do better. And that's what's going to be most important in terms of moving things forward rather than thinking there's a right answer out there and we just need to strike lucky once and then we'll be fine
0: uh and on that positive note dan uh thanks very much for, for coming on the podcast thanks uh, for the invitation be- yeah, good to yeah. talk to you Rob. bearing with me while i'm getting used to uh not just jabbering on myself and letting other people talk <laughs> so uh it's been nice to do it um yeah and obviously you know if uh people who are listening to this uh, have enjoyed the chat you know feel free to drop me a line uh or you know if you want to put any questions to dan i'm sure i can pass them on to him uh, yeah, that's and fun. you know. May well come back to uh, explore some of the issues around fundraising that we haven't managed to get uh, onto today in a in a future episode. Um, be great to have you back if you'd be happy to do that, Dan. Absolutely, brilliant.
1: Yeah, thanks very much, Rod.
0: Thanks very much. Cheers. Okay, tap. Okay, great. Well, I hope you enjoyed that chat with uh, Dan Flusky from the Institute of Fundraising. Um, I certainly did. It's good to catch up with Dan as ever, um, and hopefully he might come back on the podcast as threatened uh, at some point in the future, because obviously there's plenty more we could talk about to do with fundraising. Um, if you enjoyed the the kind of stuff we were talking about on the podcast, uh, obviously check out the Giving Thought pages um, on the CAF website. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Rodri underscore H underscore Davis. Um, drop me a line at givingthought at cafonline.org if you've got any ideas for topics we could cover or people we could interview in the future. Other than that, tell all your friends about it, like, uh, subscribe and share and I'll see you next time. Okay, bye!